Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Kelly Galise, NerdWallet's Chief Marketing Officer. On the show today, we talk a lot about her experience, which spans about 20 years in startups and travel, ed tech, and search, and even supporting some of the startup acquisitions she's worked for, like Hotwire, Viator, and Study Blue. We also talk about NerdWallet's venture into using big mass media advertising like TV and brand building efforts and how she did that. We also highlight her background and some of the unique things that she's done in her life, like the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament and her uh, dual degree in both English and economics from UC Berkeley. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kelly Galise. Well, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Now, an interesting fact I learned about you is that you were a top 20 winner in the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. So one, congrats. And two, when did you get started with crossword puzzles? 
Yeah, I've competed in the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament a few times before my son was born, because you have to go to in person to do it on the East Coast. And I was ranked in the top 20-ish in the in the Western division. And then I think I ended up in my best placing and the top, I think, 15% overall, something like that, the tournament. And I do the New York Times Crossword Puzzle every day, sometimes other puzzles too. I've always loved puzzles ever since I was young. And my mother did crossword puzzles. She wasn't like super into it, but she would do like the one in the newspaper every day. And my dad liked sort of word puzzles sometimes. And so I just sort of watched them do it and kind of started to do it a little bit myself. And then when I was in college or even when I was in high school, you know, as you're studying for some of these like exams, doing logic puzzles or thinking about kind of logical reasoning gets to be very helpful. And so I just started to do a lot more of that. And I found it really enjoyable. Like the satisfaction of like solving a puzzle is fantastic. I like jigsaw puzzles too. I do them a lot with my son now. So I've just always been really into it. And I just started to get better and better at doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. And friends of mine said, you know, you should really go do the tournament. You're pretty good. And so I went out a couple of times. It's just a really fun tournament to go to too. Everyone's really nice. And Will Schwartz is there and he's a fun guy. And so I just really enjoyed going. That's awesome. What does a tournament look like? I mean, are you like time? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people ask me like, how how is it people compete? And the way they run it is um, you're all in a, a like hotel ballroom together, basically, with um, some space between you and some little like, well, like almost little folders of privacy screens a little bit if you want. And you're given a puzzle. And literally, Will Shorts will say like, on your market, set, go or something like that. And that's when everyone flips over their puzzle. And there's a big clock with a timer on it. And it'll he'll say it's a 15 minute puzzle by Merle Regal, who's my favorite puzzle guy who's sadly no longer with us, but he's great. So actually knowing the author can help you if you're familiar with their style, because you can sort of know like the kind of clues they do. And then you have 15 minutes to finish the puzzle and you see the timer counting down. And the way they score is that it's much more important to be complete and correct than it is to do it quickly. So you can fill out a puzzle very fast, but if you have even one square wrong, there's a big penalty for that versus if you take the whole 15 minutes, but you're totally right. And so it's interesting because it's, it's much more important to be precise and accurate than it is to be fast. And if you can do both those things, be precise and accurate and fast, then you're like very good and you're, you're going to win the tournament, <laughs> basically. So um, it's interesting. You have to sort of take the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's a it's a mental exercise. But we could talk about crossword all day. I think I would love to talk about your background, too, because it's not every day that I get to talk to a marketer that is a double degree in economics and English. And it seems like that combination, frankly, of skills and brain power, maybe may have set you up really well for a lot of the accomplishments you've had. I know you've had a number of exits or companies that have exited like Hotwire being purchased by IAC and, and a couple others. Do you feel like your education and, and success has been related in any way? Yeah, it's interesting. I do. When I started in digital marketing, I found it really was a natural fit for me. I kind of fell into it accidentally. But when I did, I was like, oh, this brings together the quantitative analytical economist modeling side of me, and also a little bit of like the puzzling logical side of me with my experience in creative thinking and writing and the more English side of me that appreciates, you know, art and literature and likes a good turn of phrase. <laughs> like, like those two things came together in a really nice way. And I was originally, my first job out of college was as an economist for the Department of Labor here in San Francisco. 
And a lot of my friends from Berkeley, people who'd been majoring in computer science and things like that, were doing these awesome, crazy jobs in 1999 for internet companies, which were brand new. And you know, this was when like Google just started and Yahoo and Ask Jeeves. And a lot of these companies were hiring like crazy. And anyone who was smart and had a decent education could probably join a team there. And these friends of mine all seemed to be having way more fun than me as an economist at the Department of Labor. <laughs> and I thought, you know, maybe I'll go try this. And I started talking to my dad about it. He said, you know what, you're young. If it doesn't work out, you can go back to the Department of Labor. And I was like, this is a good point. So I ended up falling into internet companies kind of early on and really enjoying the fast-paced atmosphere, enjoying the like quick iteration and risk-taking. And the satisfaction of kind of getting to use what I felt was like all of my education and like all of the experience I had, as opposed to just maybe parts of it in my economist role. So I was really excited about all of that. And I ended up starting off very performance marketing oriented and expanded over time into digital, um, other kinds of, of marketing digitally, into brand, into email, and just sort of like got more dis cross-discipline function as I worked at growing marketing teams and sort of doing things myself before I hired people to do them. So I did feel like having that kind of disciplined approach helped me to learn like a lot and to be able to handle a lot of different kinds of marketing because I could think quantitatively and qualitatively kind of at the same time. Got it. Got it. Well, you have worked in a number of kind of internet companies or, or related digital marketing companies, I would say at, at their core. And I'm curious as you when you're approaching or coming to the job at, at NerdWallet in 2018, what was the challenge you were met with or, or what was your task, if you will, coming into that new role? Yeah. When I joined NerdWallet, often, you know, when I've been brought into an internet company in like a marketing leadership role or even like a, you know, a different role, it's usually because one of two things is true. There's nobody there doing anything. So it's very new company or very small company. And they're really looking to now invest and expand marketing. And so you're spinning up and growing a team over time. And that was certainly the case with Viator when I was brought into there and at Study Blue also before they were acquired by Chegg. Or I'm brought in because things are a mess. <laughs> and they really need to be sorted out. And maybe the right talent's not focused on the right things or that people aren't getting the results they want, or there's just like a void. And I thought, you know, as I was, as I was talking to folks at NerdWallet, I thought, well, so which are they? Is it nothing or a mess <laughs> kind of when I came in? And it's, it wasn't, I could rapidly tell it wasn't nothing. Like there was a team of some size there. I think it was around like 25 people or something. So I was like, oh, so it must be a mess where like they just don't have people doing the right things. And as I met and talked to people on the team and the people who'd be my direct reports, of course, they're interviewing me, but I'm also semi-interviewing them. I really was like, oh, these guys are actually very good. And I just saw a lot of untapped potential, maybe some areas that needed a little more focus or things that the person in the role wasn't able to convince the management team was important or like an area to invest in or to do more. But there was really a lot of potential for that team to do more. And I could come in and be that catalyst. And so I think there was just a lot of potential areas around CRM, around growing the brand that hadn't really been explored yet, but there were good leaders in place to do those things. And they just needed to get more help kind of navigating within the company to be successful and to be able to sort of build the case for why prioritize this, why put in the investment. 
And I think the overall big industry challenge that NerdWallet and other fintech companies have is to help people really understand and manage their finances. There's a lot of lack of trust in personal finance companies. And to really help people understand and build that trust, we really put that at the goal of all our decision making. We always consider the customer holistically so we can figure out what does and doesn't resonate with them. What do they really need? How can we be very unbiased in helping them make a good financial decision? And that has really helped us to earn customer trust over time and to make better, more personalized financial recommendations. And so that's really what we're always focused on is how do we provide the best financial advice? And that's the big challenge for us. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I know in recent history, the last couple of years, you've had some big pushes into using kind of mass media, if you will, or maybe brand campaigns, uh, if you want to call it that. And it's, it's not always easy to convince maybe a performance-oriented culture or performance marketing-oriented culture into investing in those types of tactics. And I would underline it even that much harder in the Bay Area for some reason, based on conversations I've had with others. How do you even begin to approach that? Yeah, it's a really hard problem for startups because you get started with very traditional performance marketing channels because they're measurable. You can see immediate returns. It's a good place to invest your money when you have a lot, like kind of a scarcity of money. And the thing that happens, I think, often is companies get to be of a certain scale and they really need to pivot at that point and think about their brand. And they either need to think about, do I need to grow the category more for me to grow? Or do I need to know, grow my brand share of the category? And you know, performance marketing is really limited by demand for the category. You're looking for people who want what you have and are actively searching for it. So often you're relying on people typing in searches or being on content about this thing. And when that's maxed out, when you found all those people, the only thing you can do is try to expand the category or take, try to take more share of it. And I think in our case, you know, a lot of people don't understand they can comparison shop financial products and that they should. So there are many people not searching for this. So there are a lot of people who might be looking for a high yield savings account, but a lot of people don't know what that is or that they, even if they know they should get one, that they could compare them and find the best one. And so I think search and performance marketing can only be as big as what people search for and what their demand is. But if you can go out there and figure out, all right, my performance marketing is starting to see diminishing returns. To get to the next level, we need to invest in brand and we either need to grow the category, we need to grow our brand share of the category or ideally both those things at one time. And I think it's very different orientation about how you measure success from performance marketing. And a lot of startups will build a team that is very focused with this performance marketing mindset to measure success. And that's not really how brand gets measured. And it's really hard to make that pivot. And I have done a lot of education internally at companies I've been at to really think about what role do our brand campaigns play in our overall marketing mix and how do we evaluate that? And I, I had jokes that I was going to get t-shirts printed up of my multi-conference room roadshow tour that I did to many, many teams in the company with how are we modeling this? How are we looking at the return on this investment in brand? How is it impacting our business? Where do we see the halo effects? So to show that we're being really thoughtful about it and that we have a paradigm for how we're going to measure success here. And not just at a level of like our aided awareness moves by X points, but that it's going to have this very real tangible business impact that everyone can see. And we built it into our financial financial models. And I think getting that buy-in, and I even met with teams like our legal team, our HR team, people that you might not think are really stakeholders in this, 
But I found that at a company, everybody sees the marketing and everyone has an opinion and everyone's families will ask them about it when you're doing national brand spend. And so to really have everyone kind of understand the strategy, I felt like was a good investment of my time so that nobody felt like we were wasting money here or questioning the company's decisions, that they could talk to their families about it intelligently. Like I think everyone appreciated that a lot and it helped it to be a lot more successful at NerdWallet. Makes a lot of sense. I'm curious on a couple of fronts, just to double click on this a little bit, is do you feel like, I guess, did you have the right team to kind of go down this path, having come in with an existing team? I was curious if there was anything you had to alter in terms of the team or or the you know, how they were organized to bring this to light, or if it was more of um, working with outside partners and things like that. So we did have the right team in terms of our um, director brand is great. And she was really yearning to do this for a long time and had a lot of really great ideas about how to execute on it. So I think from that perspective, we had the right person in place to kind of lead the charge on this. I think their team was pretty small at the time I'd come because we weren't really doing a lot of marketing in this area at scale. So we ended up adding a lot more people to that team in order to be able to execute on this well and to um, be able to give her focus on it too. And so I think that was important to do. In general, we brought more of the team of people working on audience acquisition together under the marketing umbrella. And we've had NerdWallet's DNA is really around SEO and traffic acquisition. And that had been something that the company was kind of founded on. It's still very large for us and important. We think about really defending the moat in that area. And that team had, you know, sat in different parts of the org. And we really felt like, let's bring together everyone in marketing who works on audience acquisition and thinking about how do we do that together in all of our various areas? And where is their synergy? And so that team that had previously been separate started to talk a lot more to the brand team and actually work on, okay, so when you do this kind of marketing, I see this kind of lift. And so we could start to understand better these dynamics of our business by bringing everyone together under one team and sort of having more collaboration and discussion and observation of what the effects are and working with our analytics team to understand that. So we did make some organizational changes like that to help grease the wheels. But I think actually the right people were there. They just weren't focused on what I think was the most valuable thing for them to be doing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, you talked about some of the ways that you're measuring and, and looking at Lyft and things like that. I'm just curious if there's any, you could share any additional nuggets around the analytical rigor that you put to your brand efforts and how you looked at the impact that it was having on the business. Yeah. So we launched our first ever national brand campaign, Turn to the Nerds, in first quarter of this year. So in 2020. Prior to doing that, we almost took a whole year in terms of testing to figure out what was that campaign going to look like and how is it going to impact our business. So we ran two smaller tests in several markets to understand like what business impact is this going to have when we run it at a bigger scale. And we looked at those markets versus control groups to see, are we talking about just moving aided awareness numbers? What does it do to our visitor numbers? What does it do to our conversion rates? Where do those visitors go? And what channels do we see like halo lift or rising tides? And we did very, very analytical projects around understanding this. And at the same time, we were testing out these different kind of campaign concept ideas we had to see if those resonated as well. And we're moving the kind of brand 
brand attributes we wanted to see moved. So we launched, you know, going into that campaign, we actually done a lot of upfront work around what we thought would happen. And so we do a couple of different measures. We obviously look at the aided awareness, like all brand marketing does. But we have goals around how much we think that should move based on our media plans and our investment here. And for Money Questions campaign in Q1, you know, we really wanted to see at least a five point movement in aided awareness in that time, which we got, which was great. And so, you know, now NerdWallet's hovering at pretty close to 50% aided awareness um, as a company. And we have goals to get much higher than that, but we're on a good path to getting there. And we also found, you know, nine points-ish, 10 points movement in the associations we wanted, which is great, and in intent also, which we thought were important. Ultimately, we looked at, okay, what's the lift here in users that prefer our brand? We kind of call them internally brand users. And those are people who come direct to our homepage. They type NerdWallet into a search engine. They really show like a preference for us as opposed to other users who might just find us because we have a good answer to their question might be kind of generic. And we saw a big lift in like our traffic to the homepage. We saw over a 20% lift in our branded search queries. So good lifts around the visitor side. And I think that that is, you know, some of the quantitative ways we look at it. We've also built a brand model more recently where we put in, you know, what does it cost us to get an aided awareness point in certain advertising environments? Because obviously with everything going on, the advertising environments changed a lot in the recent months. And so we're looking at for a cost for that and what does a point of aided awareness kind of get us as we go through our business and sort of seeing like where, what's the ROI look like over time for this? And so we have kind of a big complicated Excel model where we're plugging a lot of of inputs into and playing with to see like, what is the right investment for us to make right now here? Is media cheaper? Because some advertisers have dropped out. So this might be a good time to invest. We can get sort of points and impact for less money for our long-term goal. Is now a time where we want to tighten our belt because maybe the ROAS won't be as high on some of this as people are really distracted by other things. So we have like kind of a, a more quantitative model underneath all of this that helps us to make decisions. I love that, especially that the model component, being able to do those scenarios or, or play out scenarios, if you will, that's got to be pretty valuable. Yeah, I think it's helpful too for going back to the question about why do Silicon Valley companies struggle with this? I think when you speak in the language they speak, it's easier, right? I think I see a lot of brand marketers come in with like, it's going to move aided awareness and sentiment. And these guys are like, that's not an Excel spreadsheet that like helps me understand business impact. You know, and if you give them an Excel spreadsheet that tells them business impact, they're like, yes, please invest more. The marginal dollars here are going to be excellent. You know, like then you're talking the same language. So I think part of it is just being able to bridge that gap in communication can really help people see the value of what brand can bring to their business. Kelly, you just highlighted a number of significant movements that you saw across all your measures for money questions. How did the earlier campaign turn to the nerds perform in 2018 or post 2018, I guess? Yeah. So we launched it to right when I started at NerdWallet in 2018. And it's it's funny because just before I started, they emailed me the campaign and said, we're launching this campaign. We hope you like it. <laughs> so you're walking into this job. And like the good, and I kind of clicked on the ad thinking like, oh, I better like this. And it, I really loved it. So I was like, oh, phew, that's good. But the ad it did a great job of sort of getting at like what is NerdWallet's key value prop. And that's that we're here as a bunch of nerdy experts to help you get answers to your money questions. And I think it led very well to money questions. The evolution into money questions is sort of our higher brand 
purpose because turn to the nerds is still pretty, it was pretty tactical. It was like, you have this question about credit cards or your mortgage, and this is where you can turn to get answers to that and find financial products for it. So it was a very utilitarian, non-emotional kind of message. And I think money questions turned it into thinking about what is the emotional side of people having all those questions. But the turn to the nerds campaign did a great job of in very tactical marketing, sort of what we think of as branded response marketing, television strategy we have where we're really trying to find high converting prospects to come to the site who might be a little bit more passive. We're buying kind of cheap media to do that. So it's not really the same structure as a brand campaign. We're just looking to drive incremental traffic and, and results. It did very well at that. And it did gain us some aided awareness points over the course of the, call it year and a half that it, it ran. and But much more slowly than a brand campaign does, because that's not its purpose. And it's not trying to build those emotional connections. And it's not targeting people in the same high investment way that a brand campaign is. So I think like for the whole span of the campaign, I think NerdWallet moves something like 10 to 12 aided awareness points over the course of that year and a half. And as I said, with money questions, we did over five points in just a quarter. So it's just something where we think, you know, the investment in brand can help us grow faster in terms of the objective of really making NerdWallet a brand that's ubiquitous in the personal finance space and a brand of choice. Whereas uh, Turn to the Nerd served a great purpose at driving qualified leads and visitors to our site, but isn't really helping us very quickly in, in the other objective we have for our brand. Gotcha. Sorry to ping pong back and forth, but as we think about money questions, one of the things, I don't know, somebody, a, a friend of mine who's a, a good friend and a quite outspoken marketing academic and now marketing educator, uh, Mark Ritson, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he um, he's quite the interesting cat. <laughs> so you should look him up if you don't know him already. But he presses me now on trying to understand what went in, you know, what was the learning plan or the insights that the work that went into building the campaign. And so I'm curious if, if you could share, what could you share around kind of the learning plan that you undertook to kind of come up with the insight or, or get to a level where you could actually brief to the agency and the creative team? Yeah, it was a really great process, actually. When we were creating the brand campaign, we thought it's really important to connect with our customers and really deeply understand them and not just around their functional needs, but on a sort of broad emotional level. So we were looking at reports called like the secret financial life of Americans and reading things like half of Americans are going to cry about money and it doesn't matter how much money. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
company you have, that's going to be true. So that's an interesting insight that like everybody at income, different income levels, whether you're well off or you're just barely making it, get upset about money. Everyone has questions about money. Those questions might be different, but everybody has them and everybody stresses out about it. And so then we're thinking about, well, how does our brand support that emotional connection or how do we play in that emotional connection around these questions and this stress and helping people to live better lives and not really worry about money as much and really, you know, be their best money selves. I think we're very optimistic as a brand that everyone can understand this if it's explained simply enough to them and we can really help them make better financial decisions. And so we were thinking about like, how do we play in this space? And so, you know, we're sitting with our creative agency talking about all the money questions people have. And, you know, the head of the agency who's the president is saying, yeah, sometimes I'm like, should I take a lift? Should I take the bus? Should we take the bus? That's better but I really want to take a lift. Should I feel bad about that? I make enough money. I could take a lift. You know, and he's telling us this narrative that's just sort of ridiculous, but we all have, right? And we felt like a lot of the competitors out there advertising about personal finance are really getting it wrong. People don't think about their money in milestones. Like I graduate from college, I get an apartment, I meet someone, I fall in love, I get married, I buy a house, we have a child. That's what a lot of personal finance ads look like in a nutshell. And it's about these milestone moments being big personal finance decisions or personal finance services that can help you to deal with those milestone moments. But really, money questions are here every day with us. Little things about what should we order out or should we make dinner? You know, I kind of want to order out, but maybe we, we have food. We should probably make dinner. You know, there's like questions like that every day. They're kind of about money. And we really thought no one talks about those everyday relatable moments in terms of money. And we're always there at NerdWallet. We have answers to all these things. If you're looking at like, should I eat out? Is that bad for my budget? Like we have an article about that. (laughs) And so we felt like we can own this space and talk about it because like we really pay off on that promise in our content and the amount of content we have. And our our content team is the largest team in the company at NerdWallet. So we really cover soup to nuts to everything about personal finance. So we felt like this is a promise we can really pay off on in our product. And we can really connect to people about how they think about their money every day and sometimes little questions and sometimes really big ones. And so when you look at the money questions ad, there are some big questions in there around like, should I be investing is a you know bigger kind of money question. How do people just buy a house is a bigger money question. But small ones like, can I afford the extra guacamole? Why is this salad $14? You know, those are the things that we like think about all the time. And so we felt like, you know, making an ad that shows the sweep of that and really relates to people that like we see you and we see what your questions are and we're here to answer them for you. It's really a place we thought is a white space we could connect to folks in. And so we ended up going with that concept and creating the ad and testing it out in markets. And we found people just really related to the ad. That's awesome. Did you, I mean, I'm curious if it sounded like you started with kind of secondary research, if you will, like what were the common pain points, reading a lot of material, um, looking at prior work that had been done. Did you also like interview any of your customers or use any focus groups or anything like that? I was just curious if there was some research along the way. Yeah. Yeah. We have a market research team that's gone out and talked to 
you know, our target audience to sort of understand, like, how do they think about us as a company? What other services do they use? What are their pain points like? What are they thinking about? What are their money questions? We also talked a lot to our content team about the money questions they saw asked the most in our forums and things that our, our customers had brought to them. Our user ops team for the questions people were asking them about their money. So we really looked at like a lot of different places where we could source questions to understand what was on consumers' minds. And a lot of competitive research, as I mentioned, around like, what are our competitors saying? And what do we think is right about that and wrong about that, that we could then iterate off of as well to be kind of differentiating in terms of, of what are we addressing? That's perfect. That's perfect. I appreciate you adding that because like I said, I called Mark out earlier. He loves to know kind of what what the learning plan, what the research plan was. And I think it illustrates kind of what goes into making the work, right? Because we all see the work and it's hard to know how did they get there? And I love the notion of pivoting off of what has historically been done by the competitors and, and then kind of that miles, life stage milestone stuff to, to getting to everyday little behaviors that can make add up and make a big impact on your financial future. So that's cool. That's very cool. Well, we are both sitting in our respective homes because we're going through a global global pandemic at the moment. And I don't want to make light of it, but it, for those that are working at home, and this is late in the day for me on the East Coast, you know, you get a little punchy by this time. I mean, you know what? You've got to stay sane. So the only thing you can do is just sort of be like, I've lost track of what day of shelter in place this is <laughs> and laugh about it. I feel like we've already entered 2021 at this point. And <laughs> so, but I would love to know, like having known that we, we are in this, it's kind of unique period. Have you had to make adjustments and how are you making adjustments to what you're doing? So, I mean, COVID-19 has, is so unfortunate for people's financial lives, as you can imagine. And we have huge unemployment rates. A lot of people are not able to work like we are. Um, we're very lucky that we have jobs where we can sit in our house and do them for, for the most part. And this, I was telling people at NerdWallet, guys, this is our bat signal in a lot of ways. If you think about Batman and getting the bat signal that you know you really got to step up and come to the rescue. Google shared a chart with us around searches for financial help have spiked up like 203% since COVID-19. And that is like a bad signal for NerdWallet. People need a lot of financial help right now. And we want to be there to help them during this time in any way we can. So we created a COVID-19 hub of content that's all free. Um, you just come to NerdWallet. It's right on the homepage. We put a button up uh, to reach it. And it's got up to the minute updated content around all the legislation being passed for relief, what that means for people as individuals. We've updated all of our past articles. We've got people on our content team who have read Start to Finish the CARES Act and interpreted what does that really mean for people and their finances. So we've really leaned into uh, being a trusted place to go for information that really helps to simplify and boil down like what is important for you to know and what actions can you take. And I think we really want to be there during this time. And we've been sending emails from our CRM team with like up-to-date information for people who are in our member database. We've been having our experts and spokespeople out on many different media shows to give advice and to answer questions. So there's been a, a lot of things we've been doing. We even changed our money questions campaign. So we're, we're running a national brand campaign in Q2 as well, but we felt like the questions now weren't the most relevant questions. So we actually re-edited money questions to reflect some of the things that are now more prominently on people's minds so that it would just be more resonant and seem more helpful to folks around you know where they're going to concentrate right now. And you know, so many people 
are looking for financial guidance, we felt it was really important people know we can be a resource for them in good times and in bad times. So we just we really are encouraging everyone at the company and through our marketing to figure out what can we do to make this better and what can we do to be more helpful and to be there. And, you know, like I said before, our brand is optimistic and we always want to show people you can get out of this. Like there is, there is a way to improve your situation and there is a way for you to get the information you need to make good decisions right now. Our podcast has done like, I think four parts on how to prioritize your bills, what some of the CARES Act stuff means for you. So, you know, if you're in a time of distress, we can really help you to make good long-term decisions to help your finances. And we're just really leaning into that right now. I love it. I love it. And that so many people are going to need that help and that advice that you're putting in place. So I'm glad I'm glad you're out there doing it. Thank you for that. Well, let's switch gears. One of the things that I do love to do is, uh, and we've already gotten to know each other a little bit at the top of this, <laughs> but love to get to know the person behind the microphone even more, because I think it helps just contextualize who, who you are as a person. And I really love this question, which is, you know, has there been an experience in your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, it's interesting. Sort of the main sort of fork in the road I see for myself is how I switched from being kind of a public service-minded economist to working for the consumer internet, basically. And I really was excited about the potential of the consumer internet and how it could really change our lives. And I thought this this is like an exciting area that's going to maybe lead to interesting things. And I've worked at companies in ed tech and travel in lots of things that I feel like make a positive impact on our world and our society. I think for me, that's really important as a marketer. I've, I've thoughtfully chosen where I've worked at places where I thought it would be enhancing to people's lives and be a net good. And I really like sending positive messages and doing positive marketing. I think things like, you know, computer security are really important, but a lot of the messaging there is around all the bad things that will happen to you if you don't do things. So it's not something that I'm like personally interested in marketing, but I've gotten to do a lot of really positive things. And so I really think when I think about experiences of the past, I think about taking that risk to go get into something else that was pretty new and unknown and to really hop on that train and go on that journey as being really formative for me. And it's, it's made me also, because it worked out so well, I think much more open to risk than maybe other people are sometimes and thinking about what, what is the calculated risk here and is it worth doing? And um, having seen the benefit of that, I think it, it makes me very open to being a little more risk-taking sometimes. Yeah, no, that's good. What advice would you give to your younger self if you're doing it all over again? Yeah, I, I always tell people, be confident, even if you don't feel confident be confident. (laughs) I project a lot of confidence, but I don't always feel it on the inside. And I think that's true for a lot of people, particularly women who are in uh, leadership positions. And I was at a company lunch before all of this was going on. We were all at home working for the women in data and engineering group. And somebody asked me, when did you last feel like, you know, you had imposter syndrome or you didn't feel confident to do something? And I said to them, I think it was yesterday. (laughs) And I think they were really surprised by that, but it's like, you know, this doesn't go away in people's lives. And even if you're absolutely right to be confident and you have a lot of expertise and experience, you may always feel a little bit like not 100% perfect or sure or whatever. And so you have to kind of get comfortable with that and be able to project confidence about what you're doing nonetheless. And so I, I think that's an important one I would have told myself earlier on. I'm also a natural worrier. So the other piece of advice I would have given myself is just worry less and 
I think I'm always like making the worst case scenario on the worst case scenario and backup plans on backup plans. And I think I wasted more energy than I should have kind of worrying about things and I could focus on something better. So I think I do a better job of that now. And the, the last thing that I also kind of tell people on my team as I'm as I'm coaching them is I always try to have a lot of compassion and kindness for my colleagues and my partners. Everyone's coming with their challenges and their strengths and their weaknesses. And work can be very tense sometimes, but everyone is usually coming from a place of trying to do their best. And so in stressful situations, you know, like the one we're in now, frankly, I think a lot of compassion and kindness really goes further than maybe harsh words or demands. And, you know, I've been on calls with vendors where we're disappointed in the relationship and how things are going, or maybe they're not providing the support they need to. And at the end of those calls, I'll always say to people, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and to hear us out. So thank you and for being a partner who's willing to work with us on this and hear what we have to say and have you know, an interest in moving our relationship forward. I really appreciate it. And I did that at the end of a call with someone who worked for me in CRM at a, at a prior company. And they said, I would have never thought to thank that person, you know, and they were just so close to it and so mad about how things were going. And I said, look, we do appreciate that they're willing to talk to us. Like, I'm not lying to them. Like, we really are hoping that they're open and they're going to work with us. And if you leave them on that note of appreciation, how much more likely do you think they will be to go off and work on our behalf to like fix these problems versus they leave feeling like we're the difficult client that they don't, they dread getting on the phone with. And she was like, you know, that's a good point. <laughs> and so I think about, you know, for every difficult conversation, what's the thing I can show some gratitude for, or I can lean into being compassionate about, because I think in the long run, those relationships last a lot longer and are a lot more productive. And honestly, you know, Bay Area marketing is not the largest place. So a lot of people come around to meet each other again. So I just sort of orient myself that way. Oh, that's great advice. Great advice. So kind of a silly question, but one that I've enjoyed hearing the answers to recently is wondering if there's been a purchase that you've made, maybe $100 or less in the last, say, six to 12 months that has made a big impact in your life. I just got it today. It just got delivered to the house today. I'm so excited. I can't, I'll definitely tell you about this. So um, being in my house all the time is not something I normally do. I love to travel. So we're out of our house a lot. I'm at work and my house is lovely and comfortable, but I don't usually spend this much time in it. So every little thing I've been noticing around the house that like I wish was different, I'm actually taking the time to fix because I have to sit with it for a lot longer. I think a lot of people are doing this right now. So my husband makes a lot of ice cream. That's like a thing he likes to do. And because he's home a lot, he's been making more ice cream and he's been reusing like plastic takeout containers to put the ice cream in, but they freeze and they get brittle and they kind of break while you're eating the ice cream sometimes. And it's very annoying and you have to change it to a different container. So I bought him for $12 on Amazon, these great like rubber unbreakable when you freeze them ice cream containers for reuse. There's two of them. And we're super excited to like put them into use today and put behind our breaking container ice cream problem. I love it. I love that idea. And it's so simple, but uh, can make a huge impact. So I love it. You'll have to send me the link to the ones that you purchased uh, so I can share it with the folks on the that are listening. I am like a net promoter of these ice cream containers. So I will definitely send you the link. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, two marketing related questions uh, to end on. One is I, I find folks like yourself, you know, marketers in general, frankly, tend to be students of what's going on around them. And 
I'm curious if there's any brands, companies, or causes that you're following or taking notice of right now. Yeah. With everything going on with um, COVID-19, I'm definitely thinking about financial lives of Americans, particularly struggling Americans. And what can I do as a, as a person who's doing well in this situation to help out? So, you know, I'm paying a lot more attention to food banks and, you know, things like that. And where, where can we give some, some funds or resources to help out? You know, where can we donate masks we had left over? We went and did that, you know, anything we could do to kind of help out in this situation. And, you know, even in, in relatively good times, a lot of Americans really struggle in their financial life. And I would love to see financial literacy be really a required part of school curriculum. It is in places like Texas. I would really love to see that be more universal so that there's just more of a level playing field about how to manage your personal finance as as people mature. I think some people learn a lot from their parents. It's really good, but not everyone has that support system. And so I'm a big proponent of that. And I think NerdWallet plays a great role there for folks, but I would love to see it be more proactive with us teaching students that. And I would love to see like a living minimum wage for Americans. I think that there's a really interesting discussion going on around that right now. And as we think about support for Americans that are out of work, and I just think that um, our economy needs people doing all kinds of jobs to make it work and everyone should be able to live and afford to live at a good level. And so that's an area where I think a lot about that as well as a cause. I think that makes a huge impact for people personally. And as an economist, I think it would make a huge impact for the economy on the whole. So I, you know, I think a lot about those as being causes and things that I care about. And that's, you know, part of what brought me to NerdWallet was I felt like we're trying to help address some of those things that are real problems. Those are all great causes. I'm trying to do, our family is a kind of a family of foodies and um, we are probably not doing the right thing for our wallets, but we're trying to support local restaurants. Yeah, which is great. I'm trying to do that too with any place that's doing takeout. We're like trying to a couple times yeah, a week exactly. just get takeout from them to support the business or buy a gift certificate if they're not open, but it's a place we really like. We're trying to do that too. Yeah, yeah. We've got a great coffee shop too, where they, they started a coffee subscription service, which we've gifted to a number of folks, which is a, another thing. But there's a group actually out in your area, I believe, I'm not 100% familiar with them, but it's a group called Next Gen Financial. And uh, they do some great financial literacy things at, for young, young students um, that I've come across from time to time. Maybe something to look into. Awesome. Yeah, I should, check, I should definitely check them out. Last question for you. Uh, just curious, as a marketer, uh, what do you see as the biggest opportunity or threat ahead for marketers or, or the marketing function? Yeah, I'm always telling people, like, don't get comfortable. I think a big threat is inertia. <laughs> and I think that when companies are doing well, and this is particularly true for you know startups that are getting traction, maybe growing a lot through performance marketing, it's really easy to fall into a routine that is uh, safe, it's backed by proven results, but that doesn't necessarily help you achieve your grand mission and vision any faster. I always push my team and myself to think bigger, take bigger risks that are you know, calculated and smart, but could be risky. And I find this to be like a mental challenge more than anything, because usually we have the support to do it, whether that's, you know, dollars or time or whatever. And even when there's a good safety net, you know, many people are, are risk averse. So I try to encourage my team, you know what, think about this. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What's the worst case scenario? What's the probability of that happening? Low? High? If it happens, how would we address it? You know, would there be a real consequence we have to deal with? And that helps to give people some space to think about the big picture and to think about this risk in a smart way. And then think about 
what's the risk of us not taking this action? You know, are we just going to be kind of comfortable incrementers growing our business kind of step by step? Or are we going to be people who are, you know, on a rocket ship versus walking up a staircase? And, you know, what does it say about our culture if we're not willing to take these risks? Is that the kind of work culture we want to have? And so I think that sets up a framework where it's pretty easy to take calculated strategic risks or think about like, if we think there could be a risk to run a $15 million brand campaign, but a really great outcome. How do we get comfortable around that? Do we do some testing beforehand that makes it less of a risk? And, you know, we kind of think about what's the paradigm there. And so that's the big, I think, opportunity is for people to really push themselves versus kind of slowly increment their way comfortably into growth. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've loved the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alan. It was fun. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.